0: Amen, you can be seated. When I was a kid, I'm trying to get our staff to catch on to this a little bit. When I was a kid and scripture was read in the service, our pastor would say, this is the word of God for the people of God, and everybody would say, thanks be to God. Our, uh, our staff's catching on slowly in staff meeting when we, when we do that. This is a big week for our next generation um, students. I want to just before I begin, I want to just encourage you to be thinking and praying uh, about the weeks that are to come. Many of our students and our teachers are uh, they're starting well teachers have already started uh, most of you uh, but our students are going back to school uh, this week um, so our Elementary and middle school and high school kids are lots of them are going back to school this week We've got uh, back-to-back retreats for college students that are starting this week and then next week in preparation for uh, The return of our university students in two weeks. This place is going to feel and look Very different Um, And that's exciting But we're also just praying. I don't know if you man just if, if you please I hope that you have not forgotten Uh, But God has been moving powerfully in the lives of the next generation. Uh, We are seeing awakening happening on campuses uh, from college all the way down. And I wanna just encourage you to continue to pray into that move of God. I wanna pray that what we saw with baptisms and salvations last semester was just the beginning, that it was the tip of the iceberg for what God is gonna do on our campuses. And I'm not just talking about SFA, I'm talking about every campus. In this county, just believing God for an incredible uh, move of the Holy Spirit, that people that are lost would turn to Jesus, the people who don't know Him would hear His name preached through the bold students that are on campus. Would you just church as we are leading up to uh, this time of launching into school? Would you just commit to pray? For the next generation, that God would move mightily with them. I want to just encourage you to do that and also encourage you to wear purple in two weeks because uh, they're coming. So excited about that. We we are in our final week on this series on spiritual warfare. I told Blake this morning, we've messed up. This should have been two weeks longer, uh, but we'll fix that next time around. So... I, I, I covered so much ground last week. I hope that you're caught up. It would be impossible to do much review. So I would just tell you, uh, please, if you are going, wait a minute, I don't know if I can put all these pieces together, go and listen on the podcast. All of the recordings of these sermons are there, but we need to get going because we have a lot of ground to cover again this week. So we finished last week by looking at the cross and it's important to understand the cross in the context of spiritual warfare, because the cross is the place where something extraordinary happens, but for those that were experiencing it in real time, they did not see the fullness of what God was doing. The cross was a time, and, and again, you got to get your head around this in real time. In real time, what this looked like was that all of the hope of God's anointed, this Messiah, this son of God, this one that there was so much hope in, speaking of Jesus, it appeared as if all of that hope was being snuffed out, that this was a decisive victory for evil and God's plan was a a disappointment. And that's what they would have been experiencing kind of in real time on the cross. But in reality, what we discover is that there's something deeper going on. And the deeper reality of what's going on is that the power of perfect love and righteousness is being activated in the sacrificial death of the lamb that all of sin and death and evil were concentrated on him in that moment and what looked like a moment of evil overcoming Jesus was actually the triumph of perfect love and righteousness and on the third day the sun rose from the grave having defeated the powers of darkness with that self sacrificial love and in Inaugurates a new exodus, and not just for Israel, but a new exodus for Israel and the nations of the world that had been held captive. In slavery to sin and death and evil. That's what we covered last week. And oftentimes, I think we, when we rightly celebrate the victory of the Messiah in his resurrection, but oftentimes we go, okay, now what? Is that all? Is that the completed story? Is that where the story closes? And I want to just give you an emphatic no. That that's not where the story ends. That that's actually a launching point. And I wanna explore that launching point here this morning. So go to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 24, and if you do not have a paper copy of Scripture, please find one of us this morning, one of our staff. We would be happy to uh, to send you home with one. We want you to be able to immerse yourself in God's Word. But Luke chapter 24, and we're just going to read verse 44 through forty. Nine. Now this is the resurrected Jesus and he is speaking to his disciples. And he says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like military movies. I like movies that have strategy and action. And this scene is very much like in a in a movie. And I'm pretty, I, you know, I have no experience in the military, but I think this is kind of what happens a little bit in real life. But there is a mission briefing that occurs before any mission is actually carried out. If you've got a team of of special forces that are going to go in, and carry out a mission that there then there's a period of time beforehand where they are prepared for that mission. In the movies it's portrayed as a, like a conference room and there's maps and and, and there's uh, and there's different bullet points and there's there's questions and answers. It's a it's a very specific and thorough explanation of exactly what needs to happen so that the mission is carried out successfully. And this moment in the book of Luke reads very much like a mission briefing. What Jesus is saying to them in verse 44 through 47 he's explaining all that he has done he's saying listen this is all that I taught you and now do you see how all of the scripture was pointing to what I have done do you see how in the Psalms and in the prophets in the law of Moses he's encompassing all of scripture it was pointing to this moment of the death and the resurrection of the son and he says it's so that and this is key, this is all that I've done in fulfilling the scriptures was for a purpose and it is so that repentance and forgiveness of sins could be announced in my name to where? To all nations. Now this is really, really, really important because at this point, who is enslaved to, uh, to sin and death and evil? Who is enslaved to other false gods? the nations of the world, right? We know this going all the way back to Genesis. And what Jesus is launching here, and this is kind of the mission briefing, is Jesus is launching the rescue of the nations. What he has done fulfilling the scriptures is a launching point for the rescue of the nations. What he's saying to us, and what we should see in verse 44 through 47, is that the death and resurrection of Jesus has addressed the fallout from Genesis chapter three. The Genesis chapter three fallout of Adam and Eve and sin and the rebellion of the serpent has now been overcome. And so repentance and forgiveness of sins can be announced to all the nations. But then he gives a specific task. This is the mission, but who is it being given to? It's being given to those that he calls witnesses. You have seen these things. It's his followers. It's those that are gathered in the room listening to the resurrected Jesus speak of what he has already done. But then he says to them that you are going to be the ones that carry that message beginning in Jerusalem to the nations of the world. But be careful and wait. Because it is essential That in order for you to walk in what I am giving you, in order for you to live into this mission, you must be clothed with power from on high and so wait. And Matthew tells us the very same thing in chapter 28. He says it like this. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Remember that power from on high. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So if we've been paying attention in this series and everybody here at Fredonia Hill has been, right? You've been locked into every word. We know that this is significant as it relates to spiritual Warfare. We know that what Jesus is doing is not just giving some arbitrary command for people to preach the message about his death and resurrection, but we know that specifically that message of his death and resurrection, the gospel, the good news, is a weapon in the battle. It is a tool for the reclaiming of the nations and the bringing back of the nations to the worship of the one true God. The gospel message is spiritual warfare. We don't often see it that way. We have mistakenly in church reduced the gospel message to this message about how to get to heaven when you die. And it is absolutely so much more than that. Listen to the way that Michael Heiser, he's a scholar in the area of spiritual warfare. Here's how he says it. He says, believers are never commanded to rebuke spirits or demand their flight in the name of Jesus. It's unnecessary. Their authority has been withdrawn by the most high. Believers, in turn, are commanded to reclaim their territory by recruiting the citizens in those territories, the territories of false gods, the territories of the nations. Believers, in turn, are commanded to reclaim their territory by recruiting citizens in those territories for the kingdom of God. The Great Commission is thus a comprehensive plan for spiritual warfare." So what happens? Go to the book of Acts. We're gonna take this forward, that the the Great Commission is a comprehensive plan for spiritual warfare. Go to the book of Acts chapter two, and I'm gonna read quite a long passage here. I'm gonna read 13 verses beginning in verse one. Now, I want you, as I'm reading As good scholars and good readers that you are, I want you to be paying attention if there's anything that's familiar from, say, the book of Genesis. Just maybe. We'll find out. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, and what are they telling? The mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Now, what is the story in Genesis that we ought to be flashing in our mind where there's maybe something about language? You remember? Yeah, the Tower of Babel. Remember the Babel account. Where man said that i 'm going to build i 'm going to build a city, and it 's going to reach the heavens. This, this ought to cue us to Genesis chapter three, where man said i 'm going to be like God. What else did they say we 're going to build a city to reach the heavens, the place of God, and we 're going to build a name for ourselves. Man had it in his heart to become God, to reach the heavens and replace the name that is above all names. And so what did God, in his grace and in his mercy do? God judged them just like he did Adam and Eve for their good. God did not allow them to do what was in their heart to do. And God confuses their language at Babel and scatters them. And this is where Deuteronomy chapter 32 tells us that in that scattering, all, to, the, to all corners of the earth, in that scattering, in the confusing of their language, this is where God assigns the administration of the nations to other heavenly creatures. And instead of proper administration, these creatures become full of themselves and people instead of worshiping Yahweh begin to worship other gods that are not gods at all. And even Israel falls and fails and worships that which is not Yahweh. This is the story in Babel. But Jesus has now overcome in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus has now overcome all the powers of darkness and sin and evil, right? And so he has said that there is now a message to be sent. And where is that message going? To where? To all the nations, And so what Jesus is doing here is he is sending the power of the Spirit and it is by the power of the Spirit that Babel is being undone. Because it says here in Acts chapter two, and you should pay close, close, close attention that the nations that are listed beginning in verse six is a list of the known world at the time of this being written. It literally says every nation under heaven And the list of nations from the account of Babel in Genesis 10 and 11 correlate with this list of nations here. And what happens? What is the scene? What do we we read happens in the moment? What, What is the first element? It says that there's wind and there's fire. Does that ring any bells? Are there any other times in scripture where we read of wind and fire? Yes, it's every time we read about God's throne room. Every time we read about God's throne, there is wind and fire. We read it in Isaiah. We read it in Ezekiel. What is God doing? This is a throne room moment where those who are believers in Jesus are being commissioned from the throne of God where there's wind and fire and the pouring out of God's spirit. And in that commissioning, they begin by the power of the spirit to preach the good news of Jesus in a language that is unified by God's spirit so that all nations might know that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there is freedom. It's Pentecost. Pentecost is the place where by the power of the Spirit, Babel is undone. And now beginning in Jerusalem, all nations are gonna hear the gospel. They're equipped with the language of the nations. They're equipped with the power of the spirit to go in authority and power and they're equipped with the good news message of the gospel. Now I wanna ask you, does that sound familiar? Is there any other group of people that you know of (laughs) that's equipped with the language of the nations? Is there any other group of people that you know of that's equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit? Is there any other group of people that you know of that's equipped with the good news message of the gospel? Raise your hand, church, and say, I am. I am. See, because this should sound familiar, because it's the very same message, it's the very same commissioning that you and I, as followers of Christ Jesus, have been commanded to preach and to live. What happens at Pentecost was a moment. It's a moment where the rock hits the water, but the ripple effects go out and beyond that moment and you and I are brought into that very commissioning. You and I, if we are claiming the name of Jesus, if he is indeed Lord of our life, then what we are saying is that we have been rescued by the good news message of the gospel. And if that is true, then our sin has been forgiven and we have been filled with the Holy Spirit and we have been equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit with the language of the gospel, in the tongue that our culture and nation speaks, we have been commissioned just like at Pentecost to go and announce to the nations of the world that there is freedom in Jesus, that you need not worship other gods, that there is healing and forgiveness in his name. Paul says it in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, a passage that I think is familiar to all of us. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So spiritual warfare is is following Jesus and sanctification by the Spirit, becoming more and more like him, while also preaching the good news message of the gospel. This is spiritual warfare. Notice what Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 through 20 say in light of what we have just said. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want to stop there and just ask you a quick question based on our reading. Jesus has, through his death and resurrection, he he has stripped power and authority of power. But how many of you know that based on this reading and what else we see in Scripture, that darkness and evil is not going to go quietly and submissively. But that there is a war that we must engage in, in the victory of Jesus the Messiah through the announcement of the gospel message. That though the enemy has been stripped of his power, he is not letting loose of his control easily. So Paul says that we must wrestle, we must fight against forces against, uh, of evil in the heavenly places. So take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, now listen Listen to the elements that we always list these, we call it the armor of God and it's true, but listen to what is uh, what is included in the armor of God. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So what is it that Paul says we're equipped with in this fight? Does he say anything about power encounters with demons? No. Does he say, be careful, you're wrestling with powers and principalities of darkness, and so go in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus, call them out by name, cast them out. He never says any of that. Now, I wanna be a little careful here because I'm not saying that there are not moments where we don't encounter extraordinary things, and I'm gonna get to that in just a second. But what is it that Paul says is the way in which we punch Satan in the mouth? There it is again. I'm back to middle school football. I keep doing that. (laughs) He says, truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation, the word of God, prayer and perseverance. Perseverance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three through six, we read it at the beginning of service. He says, take every thought captive. And why are we doing that? We're making a line in obedience to Christ to withstand the schemes of the enemy. So it is a renewed thinking that we bring to the fight. A thinking that's in alignment and conformity to scripture. So what is spiritual warfare? Discipleship. Come on, you hadn't been here for long if you're not get it, come on. Discipleship is spiritual warfare. Too long we have believed and taught errantly that spiritual warfare is this other thing that some elite and some strange Christians do in other countries. It's not for the quote unquote rest of us but that's not what your Bible says. That's not what's in mine. Apparently, spiritual warfare is something that every single one that is called on the name of Jesus for salvation has now been commissioned into. Apparently, you you and I are the ones, and by the power of the Spirit and the announcement of the gospel, we are the ones that have been called to tear down the gates of hell. And it's done In discipleship. But I'm just telling you, you must be sober and ready for a fight. It is true that Christians cannot come under the inhabited control of dark and evil powers. It's absolutely certain. However, Scripture is clear. It's spoken of over and over and over again in the New Testament that Christians can fall under the influence of dark and evil power. Listen to First Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for who? The devil. If we are not serious about following Jesus and becoming more and more and more like him through obedient surrender to the power of the spirit, then we will be left vulnerable and open to deception and deceit. If we are not serious about following Jesus and becoming more like him, then we will also be left open to total ineffectiveness in the mission that God has given us. Now, I wanna be really clear. I said I would get to this. There are times where we will likely encounter what might be classified as an extraordinary experience as we minister to those around us. And I don't have all the nice, pretty little bow on top answers for the why and the how and the what have you's of some of those encounters. I can tell you that I have been in some strange moments where the individual that I was ministering to was clearly influenced by a dark and evil presence. But for me to believe that that one instance, that those those certain times, that right there is spiritual warfare is to totally fall short of the biblical definition of spiritual warfare and is to lead me to total distraction. And I just want to tell you that the enemy would be so happy if all I would do in my quote-unquote quest for spiritual warfare is go look for demon-inhabited people who make strange manifestations so that I can call them out. That is total distraction. and keeps me from doing the business of day in and day out, becoming more like Jesus, living like him, becoming a person of love and announcing the gospel message in every sphere of influence that God has given me. Now I'm just telling you along the way, you might have some interesting moments. I've had them as well. And here's all I would say about those interesting moments. Cause some of you are in here are like, yeah, that's what I'm here for. I've been waiting for this week. <laughs> no, none of you? Okay then the rest of you are terrified. <laughs> that's okay. And there are definitely denominations that make this a major point of emphasis. You maybe heard or been exposed to or come out of that, that that's what spiritual warfare is, is these encounters. But this is never commanded in scripture. Not one time do we have a command for believers to focus themselves on encounters like that. But I do believe that as we minister, as we preach the gospel, there will be times where we come across extraordinary moments. And here's all I would say, that the manifestations of evil will be in all different forms. depending on where you are, who you're ministering to, what culture, what country, what past, what, I mean, just, there are so many variables. The the, the manifestations of evil will be in all different forms. Our job is not to go out and look for certain manifestations of evil. We've got to resist searching to combat just certain manifestations, and we need to focus on daily transformation into Christ-likeness, on living in obedience to the Spirit, And therefore, if we're doing those things, how many of you know you're gonna walk in power? You're gonna announce the good news gospel message of Jesus. If you are focused on daily surrender to the sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life and you are actively seeking to share the message of the gospel, then you are gonna find the fight. I don't have to tell you where to find it. (laughs) You're gonna find it. If all you're looking for is the fight and you're not much interested in sanctification in laying your life down and picking up your cross daily and sharing the gospel, if you're just looking for a story to tell, you're gonna find it. But you're gonna be like that story in scripture where you find the fight and then the fight finds you and leaves you wiped out. And, this, and, the, and the, the dark and evil powers say, hey, Paul, we know and Jesus we're, we're pretty aware of, but who are you? If all you're looking for is the fight, then you're gonna get chewed up and spit out. Look to Jesus. Submit yourself to him day in and day out that you might look more and more like him. Pray for the people that you are around every day for opportunity to share the good news message of the gospel. Are you praying for the people that sit next to you? Are you praying for the people you're in a classroom with? Are you praying for your teacher? Are you praying for your parents? Are you praying for the soccer team? Are you praying for opportunity and then taking it when it comes? If you are living that way, you will find the fight. And then when you find it, don't be afraid. Keep your eyes focused. Continue to walk in care and compassion for the individual that's in front of you. Stay rooted in prayerful surrender to the spirit of God. And you will have everything that you need because the battle is not won by your ability to put out a certain technique. The battle has already been won. And in surrender to the spirit, we are simply announcing the message that dark and evil power has no more grip and that all who come in the name of Jesus can be free. And the Holy Spirit will give you all the wisdom, all the power, all the authority that you need in those moments. So here's the summary. As my dad would say in Sunday school class, the two-minute warning. The doors of life have been flung open and all who come and place their faith in Christ Jesus receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to lead them into all truth as they establish counter cultural communities of love and grace. That's called church. A counter cultural community of love and grace, that's church. And as together we go out into a world that is still held captive and we announce the flinging open of the prison doors by preaching the good news message of the gospel to those that are still in chains. And so my question to you is, are you ready to engage in spiritual warfare? Are you ready, church? To engage in spiritual warfare, will you go into the world? Will, and and by, by I mean into the world, I mean will you go to your neighbor? Will you go to those that are right next to you? And will you believe that God has not made it an accident that you're right next to those that you are right next to? Wake up. God is sovereign and he has placed you in the places he has placed you for this very purpose. Will you go into the world and announce to those that are still held captive that Christ Jesus has won a decisive victory over sin and death and evil and that all those that come through faith in him and who call on his name will be set free and receive eternal life? Will you go and fight? I wanna invite you to stand for our invitation. I've thought a lot about the end of this series and I'll just confess to you that I've thought, man, they're gonna be so frustrated that we didn't get into a lot of the nuance of some of this stuff. They're gonna be going, well, wait a minute, what happens in the, you know, the action stuff? Like, let's get into that part. Based on your reaction earlier, maybe that wasn't you. Maybe you were all relieved that this is all over. (laughs) But as I was praying about just, God, how how do we end this? The thought occurred to me. Maybe it's the spirit, maybe it's not. I'll just let you be the judge the thought occurred to me that dark and evil power that exists in our community all around us would love nothing more than for us not to understand spiritual warfare. There are people that are literally living in the homes next to you that are completely, completely held captive by dark and evil power, that are worshiping false gods, that are absolutely miserable, that have no depth in their life, that have no joy, no peace, no satisfaction, no comfort, no freedom. They're enslaved to their own desires. They are your neighbors. Held firmly in the grip of dark and evil power desiring nothing more than for the church to not wake up and realize that we have the answer. I think dark and evil power would love for us to believe that spiritual warfare is just a series of power encounters. Because you know what that does? That keeps most of us on the sideline. There is a profound simplicity here that if you and I as followers of Jesus will lock into, then not only will our eyes be open to realize that the ones that we've been called to announce freedom to are right next to us, but we will also realize that we have everything we need in order to do it. You are not lacking in anything. If you have called on the name of Jesus for your salvation, you are lacking in nothing to go into places of darkness, announce the victory of Jesus, and lead others who are held captive into freedom and life in his name. We have everything we need. The question is now, will we go? Will we go? And I just want you to pray this morning. This is my my, My deepest desire for us this morning is that we would pray and that our prayer would be a prayer of surrender. Maybe for you, it's just confessing sin that God, I've just not ever really been interested in going. I'm quite happy with a quote unquote personal relationship with you and and letting this thing play its way out till I see you in heaven. Maybe we need to confess that sin this morning. Maybe we need to pray and God, have God open our eyes. Maybe it's the first time you've ever thought about the person next to you, maybe being someone that is totally ensnared in sin and death and evil. And that you are the one with the answer. Maybe this morning's a prayer for God to open your eyes to the people that he has put you around. And maybe this morning, the prayer is for courage. Maybe you've never thought you had everything you need. Maybe you've always thought this is somebody else's job. I'll just bring them to church. Maybe your prayer is, Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes to realize that you are everything I need. And if you live in me, I have everything I need. And so I just submit to you. Would you use me? Would you fill me? Wherever the Spirit of God has led you this morning, I would encourage you to deal with him there. If it's helpful for you to spend some time on your face up here on these steps, you're welcome to do that. We'll have prayer partners that will be in the back of the room if it's helpful to pray just out loud with somebody. I would also encourage you to recognize that this time for us as a church is a time where it is absolutely open for you to minister to one another. Maybe it's just a family group, maybe you're sitting there with your family and as a family group, you need to just kind of huddle up and pray together. Maybe you need to go across the room to another brother and sister and ask for courage and for them to pray for you, pray over you. I don't know what it is, but you, you need to feel equipped and free to move across the room during this time and minister to one another. I'm gonna stop talking, let the Holy Spirit go. Father, we just submit to you we ask Holy Spirit that you would lead us in this moment. We thank you that we are free and we pray that we would have the strength and the courage to announce that there is freedom for all who come by your name. Would you send us more than that, God? Would we wake up to the reality that we've been sent? Would you give us strength and courage to go? In Jesus' name, amen.